Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to that little bonus episode here of A Little More Good. A little bonus, a little Friday episode coming into your inbox. Yeah, yeah. Or wherever <laughs> podcast yeah. land, I guess yeah. they're not into your inbox. Your earbuds. Into your earbuds. So uh, what are we talking about this week, Dina? Well, today, yeah, we, we wanted to drop this episode because it's a little bit timely in terms of something we're seeing happening in our country and world right now as we speak. And it is uh, it is a conversation that is not limited to Canada, but it's kind of taken a unique turn in Canada here as we've had a large segment of the population kind of uh, move into this freedom position and like rallying towards uh, or rallying against some of these restrictions and things with all of the COVID protocols and stuff that federal and provincial governments have introduced. So we found ourselves with... A uh, convoy of truck drivers and just regular citizens who are engaged in in kind of a protest movement and taking their vehicles to Ottawa to kind of line and fill the streets around Parliament to protest COVID mandates and restrictions. Uh, some are anti-vax, uh, anti-vaccine. Some are just anti-mandate. Um, pro-freedom it's kind of like a mishmash of movements within one but kind of under this umbrella of people being sick of having to change their way of living because of COVID Mm -hmm. so we dive into it with our friend Maya Maya Wickler Maya is somebody that uh you know when she speaks I listen yeah she she's a very thoughtful intentional person and uh we're so lucky that uh, we got to share this conversation with her. But personally, I know like nuance has been something that we've been kind of celebrating and, and something that we've been seeking yeah. uh, in many parts of her life. And I think with, with COVID-19, uh, we've been avoiding this conversation um, because I think like everything else, there is nuance, um, you know, and I think we get into this on the pod, there's been a lot of othering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need to recognize the root of suffering and uh, seek compassion to be able to find unity. Um, The problem that's been um, kind of, I'm not going to say kind of bothering me, the problem that's been bothering me has been the the white supremacy, the racism, um, those aspects of the freedom convoy, and I think those are things that are never okay. Yeah. We didn't fully get into this, but you know, we were chatting about it before and uh, there is like a sliding scale of white supremacy, but there all are all forms of sliding. Uh, there all are all forms of white supremacy. And I think if we look at some of the teachings we've had from the past couple of years, we've been working on our white fragility yeah. and we've wor- been working on um, noticing the difference between 
being an anti-racist versus I'm not racist. And I think this is an opportunity to use some of those teachings and put them into practice. Yeah. Because if you're anti-racist, you're not okay with any form of racism and you'll speak out against it. Um, You're not okay with any form of white supremacy and you're actively against it. Mm -hmm. Uh, To be passive to it is a form of white supremacy. Yeah, or or even being able to not fully see it or recognize it in and of itself is like, and that's where I think there is a sliding scale, like white supremacy might be more overt and active, Mm -hmm. whereas like someone might be very privileged because of being white, that they actually don't recognize Mm -hmm. that their privilege is actually um, a barrier to someone else's like, you know, flourishing or whatever. And, and I think that part of the conversation too, and we've talked about it a lot is the idea that with this kind of like white privilege comes a lot of, um, like freedoms and things that people have gotten really used to, right. That the privileges of being a person who can go around and kind of live their life with, with very few, uh, interruptions or restrictions, uh, is something that's like people have gotten really used to in mm-hmm. the Western world. And the last couple of years with restrictions, those privileges have been infringed upon mm-hmm. and it's uncomfortable and we can dislike it. Like I dislike it because who who enjoys having privileges taken away of being able to kind of go and travel or go into different stores or participate in, you know, go to your favorite restaurant, whatever. And so when those things are, are, are infringed upon, people can become upset. But what I think is lost a little bit is are those things that have been infringed upon privileges mm-hmm. or rights? And some would say those are my rights. And I, I feel like, uh, some of those things have been privileges for so long we've mistaken them for rights. Mm-hmm. Kind of the idea of confusing equality for oppression. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's something that we all need to dig into deeper in our own learning and unlearning. And I think if if this makes you uncomfortable, if the idea of white supremacy or being attached to notions of racism make you uncomfortable, it's just an opportunity to to dig in and learn more. Um, so I think if, if, uh, you listen to this conversation and it makes you feel defensive, if it makes you feel angry, if it makes you, um, you know, feel uncomfortable, I think take that as an opportunity to, to, to learn and to, uh, dive deeper into, you know, your own education and, and find why does it make you uncomfortable? Why does it make you angry? Why does it, uh, unsettle you and get to the root of that and see where that takes you. Yeah. Uh, allow that curiosity to lead, to lead you into further, yeah, uh, understanding or openness. And yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. We're, we're always going to have people who land on different sides of issues and all of that. And I think at the heartbeat of it is like, how can we still see each other as like valuable mm-hmm. human beings mm-hmm. and extend care and concern and compassion to one another. Even when ultimately at the end of the day, like we will dis we will disagree on mm-hmm. fundamental things, but without othering or, or seeing someone as less than is really, really part of the important work that lies ahead of us, not only as like a nation, but as a world, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one thing. That's where I, th- I'm hopeful that we can, unite as a people and and emerge from this healthier and happier as if we if we do uh, collectively take responsibility for the state of the world we stop othering and and pointing our fingers to to blame others uh, and we look in the mirror and say that we're all responsible for what's happening and once we acknowledge that we're all responsible and we take responsibility uh, hopefully that can turn to healing and uniting and um, looking at the root causes instead of where they're surfacing. Um, Because if we get to the root causes, I think, you know, we're getting back to, you know, climate change. I think we're getting back to indigenous rights. Uh, I think we're getting back to like fundamental issues that 
we need to unite over yeah. uh, instead of fighting. Yeah. So hopefully we can get there. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a long road, but it, the journey is like certainly worth worth it. Yep. So to an end, this is a, a conversation with Maya Wickler uh, returning to the pod for the second time. Yeah. Probably the the second uh, of an ongoing series uh, with Maya as we just, you know, love sharing conversation with her. So uh, we look forward to uh, hearing what you, you think about this conversation and hopefully we can all grow and learn together. Yeah. All right, all right. everybody. Here we go. All right, everyone. Well, here we are. Welcome back. Uh, another another episode of A Little More Good. We're excited. Maybe some some feelings of trepidation. I don't know. As we launch into a conversation that is not only uh, <clears throat> timely but important, and yeah, definitely like maybe maybe sensitive, but uh, worth worth the merit of having the conversation, knowing that that's what we want to do here is is create meaningful learning and dialogue and even uh, enter into spaces and places where there is pushback or discomfort. Um, but knowing that, you know, seeking a greater understanding of all sides and ultimately um, bringing about unity and not, not just uniformity, but like unity in our diversity in the sense that we see each other as humans and people to connect with. And so, by way of kind of a rambling introduction, we've got a special guest. Our friend Maya Wickler is back with us. Maya, thanks for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we kind of, well, yeah, through through a series of texts and conversations and stuff, decided that uh, it would be worth it to jump on, uh, even in the Zoom Zoom format, to have some conversation about what's happening across our land right now, currently, as we see kind of a groundswell of movement in a multiple kind of multiple directions, but one specifically is a, is a, a groundswell, a movement of people heading east to Ottawa in a convoy of trucks. Oof. So we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about this and what it means and some of the implications for um, the people of, the, of this land known as Canada, the, the settling colonial people are indigenous first peoples of this land and beyond as this conversation really is, is transnational. It's across the borders. We've got well-known celebrities, uh, podcast hosts, inventors of uh, electric cars, talking <laughs> about this, tweeting about this. So very interesting movement, this freedom mm -hmm. as it's been dubbed. So where should we start guys? I think there's so many, so many things to cover and, and so many angles to address, but um, maybe we can start with um, just kind of what's happening. So there's, there's a convoy that's going down to Ottawa, that's in Ottawa currently, of truckers and protesters that um, are protesting uh, the mandate and vaccines. But uh, at the root of this, um, there has been issues of, of colonialism and white supremacy and, and racism. And just to address that, um, and not to, to minimize anything, um, I think it's important to address any form of white supremacy or colonialism or racism. And our goal in this conversation is not to exclude, but to invite in. And hopefully we can get to a point where um, we can navigate solutions. And like you said, Dean, like coming together uh, and connecting to what the systemic causes and issues are here, rather than maybe kind of how they're surfacing. Um, so let's get into it, guys. <laughs> so okay maybe one point that we can kind of jump off of uh one one thing that i've really noticed in this and that's been bothering myself is just the the mass othering um i think we've got groups of people that instead of taking collective responsibility or ownership uh they're just pointing fingers so we've got one group that's 
you know, pointing fingers at the government and, and one group that's um, pointing fingers at the government and pharma um, and one group that's pointing fingers at the anti-vax, anti-mandate community. Um, and there's not a lot of common ground of communication between these groups. Um, so there's a lot of othering. So maybe we can start with what othering does um, to a, a society, to a, to a group, and kind of the the impact that um, othering can have on versus collective responsibility. Mm -hmm. I think that that's you beautifully brought that together. First of all, and I think that it's important for all of us to recognize, like the root of othering is this patriarchal culture that is intertwined with colonialism and capitalism because it's rooted in shame and so i think that we're seeing that on both sides where there's a dominant discourse that you know we're in this i don't i lost count of what wave this is fourth wave we're in another surge another variant because of these darn people who won't get vaccinated is like you know the shame narrative for those who have chosen not to be vaccinated that they like shouldn't have access to health care anymore um and then on the other side is the shame-filled narrative around you know the reports that were happening at the convoys like people who wear masks get targeted and restaurants or coffee shops or hotels that enforce a mask mandate they are targeted so and shamed and so I think that it's important that we really bring ourselves back to the root of it is like collectively, do we really want to continue this shame filled society like it just creates so much paralysis in general, and then it makes it where people are defensive there everyone's in their corners and um, and I think that it also it just you have to defend your identity at that point like it comes down to people starting to identify with their belief systems they identify with being vaccinated with not being vaccinated and you will do anything you can to defend that identity and so i just think that there needs to be a deeper awareness and deeper compassion that our dialogue and our discourse is not shame filled like that is not what we want to put forward for this world that we are seeking to repair that dismantles patriarchy and all the different nuanced ways that we are internalizing it and and kind of demonstrating it socially. So I just think that it's important that we recognize the impacts of othering, even within ourselves, like that internally, subconsciously, there are impacts there. And so that's, those are my, general thoughts oh that's good and i think that it it's worthy of noting too that even even within you know if we're going to segment the groups of population there's people who are who are vaccinated uh but would be like vehemently anti-mandate right and then there's people who are you know unvaccinated and maybe chose that as a as a health personal health choice or whatever for themselves but recognize you know what like this is my choice uh and yeah for the time being there there needs to be some sort of mandated um responsibility in terms of like people who have made the choice that i've made not to be vaccinated and i won't be able to participate in certain elements of society for a time mm -hmm. and who are on the other side saying no vaccine no mandate and then of course people on the fourth side and i'm sure more saying no like everyone needs to be vaccinated and there needs to be mandates so it's like it's even hard to just say it's like one group versus the other and to recognize you know on all sides there's there's divergent opinions and ideas and one of the things that i think becomes easy for us to do in the process of othering is make a whole lot of assumptions about who the person is across, you know, the room, the table, the screen from us. And what we might miss is even some of the nuance in understanding what their perspective is. And so I think like, as we kind of navigate, you know, this world is, is not going, it's just going to flip a switch and go back to normal, right? We have to navigate our way forward through this. I think for me, it's been really helpful is to say, okay, like 
leading with curiosity, like help me understand how you arrived at your decision and where are even the paradoxes within yourself as maybe someone who is like pro-vaccine but anti-mandate or some other mix that we might miss like at first glance by reading someone's Instagram post or something. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that also just speaks to how important nuance is. And I think that the last two years, people have been on the internet and consuming internet media in a way like never before. And it just inherently lacks nuance. Like these systems are designed to not engage your intention. It's designed to not have space for nuance. And, and I also think, you know, we know that these algorithm algorithms and clickbait and everything is designed to exploit emotion. Mm -hmm. And so on top of people being in a like seriously impacted state of mind and well-being because of this pandemic and how incredibly exhausting it's been for so many people, it's like we're consuming this medium that's designed to be exploitative in an already altered state of being. And I just think it's so important for that to be at the top of mind and to, for people to really actively create space for nuance and appreciation for it. And I think that part of that also really ties into this theme of white supremacy and that the fact that white supremacy is nuanced as well. And that we, all of us, I would hope would be striving for anti-racism and an end to white supremacy, recognizing the harms that that's caused for generations to so many different communities and also to the planet. And that in order for us to meaningfully address it, like we do need to create space in our lives for nuance. And I think that that's also where othering to me is concerning because it's meaning that we're actually not having a nuanced approach. So how do you approach this with compassion and curiosity while also having like a line that you don't cross? Like what does, what does that look like? My line <laughs> is like white supremacy is white supremacy. Yeah. And it has to be called out. Like it just has to. And it cannot be minimized. It can't be normalized. And, you know, we were all talking about before we hit record on this is, you know, how many Nazis do we need? Like how many Confederate flags do we need? how many blatant displays of white supremacy warrant everyone finally recognizing it's white supremacy? Like, does it have to reach these these pivotal points of such, you know, devastation like George Floyd and what caused like the whole eruption across the U.S. in the first year of the pandemic with the Black Lives Matter protests? Like, I would hope that we don't need to reach those points because people are actively addressing white supremacy in their lives every single day. And what we all witnessed this past weekend with this convoy is that there are undoubtedly displays of white supremacy. And it doesn't matter what you think about the media. The fact is, is that there was a presence of white supremacy and it is like what we're talking about, this lack of nuance, and it isn't othering, if your response to seeing those symbols of white supremacy is like, well, that was mainstream media blowing it up. Well, you just othered your your way of assessing a situation because it was a certain media outlet, or it was this way that you identified a side or a binary that you had to defend for you to automatically negate the presence of white supremacy and the significance of it for BIPOC and Jewish people. And so I think that it's, yeah, I think the line that just cannot be crossed in all of this is I think that everyone can unite behind the fact that we do not support white supremacy. And and if you're standing next to a neo-Nazi, you might want to leave. You know, and if you're st- like next to a Confederate flag, maybe take it down. <laughs> like, maybe t- tear down that neo Nazi symbol. Like, I don't, I think that those things are kind of given. To me, that's almost just hearing you say that out loud. It's almost an opportunity to unite. I think if, if the two sides, like if the 
anti-vax, anti-mandate side, um, and I'm making generalizations here, but if they see any sign of white supremacy, neo-Nazis, racism, um, if they see that, if they call it out on their own channels and their own communities and say, hey, I'm against the mandate, I'm against the vaccine, but I'm also against white supremacy, I'm against racism, I'm against neo-Nazis and Nazism, um, it gives opportunity for conversation with both mm -hmm. sides because they'll say um, the group of people that are, are pro-vaccine will be like, hey, I too am against white supremacy and racism and Nazis. And there's um, a, a possibility to unite and connect there and then potentially snowball of, you know, other, other points of connection um, from uniting against a line that should never be crossed. Yeah, and I think that there are several points of connection that I almost wish folks across the aisle would be able to create space for. And I think that it's a, it's a conversation shut down if you are um, turning a blind eye to white supremacy for a lot of people. And mm -hmm. to me, that's 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 a that's too bad because there are some really great points that in conversation conversations I was having with people is it is important for folks to recognize and talk about these systemic roots that are intensifying the results of this pandemic, which is, you know, for years there's been a lack of adequate public health care. And there, the public health care system has already been getting defunded. It's there's already been attempts at privatization. This has been an ongoing issue. And so when you have a healthcare system that's already been faltered, like faltering, I think is the word, flailing. <laughs> um, yeah. That paints a better visual. And then a pandemic hits, this is this is the result of it. And when you have a public health officer who's appointed by a politician, this is the result of it. And so I think that generally people can agree that they would like the you know a lack of or they would like corporate accountability in terms of crises and especially public health crises and that spans beyond the pandemic that goes well into the climate crisis that also will be a public health crisis and um and so i think that there's a lot of unifying places where people can be organizing together and actually getting a lot of reprieve, like getting a, a lot of relief because it's addressing these sources of suffering. Like people are suffering because they're not accessing, having access to the care that they need, or they're not having access to the information that they would like to receive. And th that's an ongoing issue too. Like it's not even just with the Freedom Convoy having their grievances with CBC. So have folks that have organized for years in support of Wet'suwet'en and for indigenous rights is that CBC and other media outlets continue to fail to, you know, tell the story right when it comes to the fight for indigenous rights. And so I just think that the, the ongoing issues here have gone, have started long before the pandemic and what we will see in this pandemic and in other crises in the future is that any systemic injustice will be the veil gets pulled back that much more clearly and its impacts are that much more exacerbated when it's left unattended to. So I would I would like to see collectively us organizing on ending the influence and the role of big pharma that would address the vaccine apartheid, you know, ending the the influence of privatization in healthcare systems, we see that in BC right now without even being able to access testing. Like all these other modalities that mitigate the impacts of COVID. Um, and I think that that lends to this general distrust of the situation because people, people are smart. Like folks know like all these different measures that could be happening to be preventative, proactive, that the people deliberately aren't taking because they're siding with political and corporate influence and generally that is a position that will create othering and it will create distrust so kind of bouncing off of that um i know you you touched on climate change there for for me one of the 
ways to move through this and hopefully forward is this idea of collective responsibility and mm -hmm. and acknowledging that we are all responsible because this is in many ways a reaction of the state of the world and our relationship to it and that gets back to to climate change so can you maybe connect the dots how climate change and and even further ableism is is connected to um what's happening yeah i think there's specific things that we all have seen in this pandemic that we will see again for further climate crises empty grocery shelves uh food supply chains disrupted you know different things like that happening that in part have been because of covid and shutdowns and people being ill and exposures and breakouts and things like that but also on the other hand like we experienced three um climate crisis events in bc like we had the wildfires then we had the fl two flooding events i think and then the the snowstorms so it's like and the flooding events disrupted the food chains you know so it's just all these things that we're seeing these challenges that we're already witnessing while already like collectively exhausted like mm -hmm. this will continue with the climate crisis like it will continue to impact um food it will continue to impact supply chains and things like that and then in terms of ableism that i think is really concerning and illuminating about the pandemic is you know colonialism and white supremacy is a culture of ableism and mm -hmm. that has that discourse has never been at the forefront and I think a lot of people, myself included, even as an immunocompromised person, I'm still continuing to learn about ableism and my own internalized, you know, socialization of it. And so I think that it's important that people really take a moment to reflect on their, their way of engaging in the pandemic. And if it's been treating a certain type of people as disposable, and if it's been, you know, being able to disregard the fact that there are more vulnerable people in our shared communities that we ought to be caring for. And that type of individualism and that type of treating of people as disposable is to me inseparable from the very ideology that's responsible for a planet in peril. It's responsible for us treating lands, water, soil as these disposable commodities and treating immigrant farm workers and people who are working in mines across the world to mine the, the minerals that are needed for our technologies as disposable, like these sacrifice zones and sacrifice people. And we saw that earlier in the pandemic with Amazon workers who were so impacted by COVID outbreaks. And so I just think that these connections must be made because as the climate crisis continues to intensify as things currently are there will be people who will be left on the sidelines and there will be people who will be disposed of because that is how our current policies and systems are set in place and as a collective we have to consciously choose not to embody that and to me a way to put that into practice is right now of really uplifting collective community care, mutual aid, really recognizing where there are blind spots, maybe in your workplace or maybe at your school that is not creating an inclusive environment for people of varying needs and varying conditions. And, um, and an example that I had shared earlier too is that I there's a young woman who's a friend of mine that I've interviewed several times for Vice on the impacts of the climate crisis and she is a young woman with a disability and she was sharing how terrifying it was for her friends and her network during the fires in california with not being able to flee when there is like less than an hour given to evacuate because they could not they things were not accessible in terms of their medical interventions and technologies such as a wheelchair oxygen machines it was not easily transportable and then when people were set up in the walmart parking lot 
with the evacuee sites, those places were not set up for folks with disabilities. So I just think that all of this is incredibly important and it does connect back into white supremacy, which is this like notion of pureness, this notion of <clears throat> pure bloodedness, who deserves to live, who deserves not to, who deserves to be a part of our society, who shouldn't be. And I really would hope that people in their hearts believe that the spectrum of anyone who struggles with any type of um, compromised health immune system, any type of compromised physical capabilities, neurological capabilities that they belong in our society. Mm. And um, we need to be, you know, demonstrating that and recognizing that these ways of thinking and responding to crises, it's not adequate and it will not, it will continue to be inadequate and it will continue to be a form of violence as we navigate the future ahead. Yeah. That's, I think that's a really important thing to remember is like, and we don't, we don't necessarily know those things and unless we actively seek them out, mm -hmm. listen to people who are like courageous enough to, to share their story and to tell their story. For most people, you hear about, you know, evacuation orders and be ready to move at a moment's notice. And we think like, oh, that's terrible. You'd have to like grab your stuff and run. Mm -hmm. We don't often think of the people who like, that's not an option. Um, as you were talking about that, I remember reading just yesterday, I can't remember where, where it was, but in one of the kind of rabbit hole research, kind of deep dive things that's been happening here lately, seeing a post of someone who is the partner of a person with a physical disability, and they made the conscious choice to, you know, when things were uncertain with like COVID and stuff like that, to if anything was to happen, that they would write on this person's chest in Sharpie, do resuscitate. Wow. Because they said that they knew when doctors were having to make the the harsh calls of like what to do, like a person with some sort of physical or even like cognitive disability um, might be seen as like less likely or seen as having comorbidities and therefore would be triaged lower. So right. they made the choice to write do resuscitate and then the person's name, some of their connections, their their occupation, their education, like all of this stuff physically on their body so that it was a visual reminder for like to humanize them. Yeah, which is which is insane because I mean this is this is a, in the context of like people who have devoted their lives to being caregivers mm -hmm. and they would, they do see the humanity like in each and every one of their patients, but in, in a time such as this, where there is that kind of critical and awful situation that they would be in to have to make some sort of call that, you know, a person who would be seen as having these comorbidities would be deemed as like less mm -hmm. than someone else. And I mean, that's, cr that's crazy. <laughs> like, that's crazy that we're in a situation where that's a reality. And it's so sad. And I loved how you use the word like unveiling, because I think that we would be remiss and like kind of kidding ourselves if we thought or believed that these things haven't always been there. Right. But through this time and kind of all that's been happening over the course of the last two years, like it is this kind of unveiling or like I would you know, because I'm dramatic. And in this tradition, I would use the Greek word apocalypse, where it's not the end of the world, but it is an apocalyptic, like, grand mm -hmm. unveiling of things that have always been there, but have been kind of covered over. Mm -hmm. That kind of apocalyptic moment. Definitely. And I think that, you know, what we had, all of us had a conversation last time on the podcast about shifting baselines. There is this quote by this writer, I forget his name and I'm going to paraphrase it, but essentially it's like we are fooling ourselves to think that things will change when we've hit the worst. Because if we're just waiting for that jolt or that shock to the system, it will never come. And I think that all of us can kind of step back and reflect and recognize that even in this pandemic, the way that it all started was actually much more unified the first two weeks at least. <laughs> before that like you know it 
things really simmered and came to a head over the last two years. But um, yeah, it's just in the beginning of the pandemic, people were like, this is Aaron Dottie Roy wrote that piece that was so widely read and shared about how this could be a portal to step into a new world, to step into a better, more just world. And I think that it's important that we really hold on to these things and realize that, you know, unfortunately, as a human species, we're immensely adaptable. And I think that everyone will just be swimming along through apocalyptic times <laughs> as we are and have been. And like, and then it's a question of like, who's apocalypse? Like for a lot of people, like things have felt apocalyptic for a while because of genocide and white supremacy and colonialism. And I'm sure things felt pretty apocalyptic for my ancestors when they were navigating persecution with anti-Semitism. And, you know, I think that it's important for everyone to keep that in perspective as well as that, like there are cycles and different experiences of this kind of apocalyptic state but it's like we have to keep our our eyes ahead like focused and you know so committed to justice and like so committed to healing and repair and really undoing these systems and structures that i think that there will always be like this new apocalyptic think people are saying the permafrost is melting and revealing new viruses people are saying that you know like we're facing all this impending doom with the oceans and you know all this stuff like i'm sure there will be so many other crises and so, yeah so how does this kind of set the foundation for for the years to come like how is this setting the plate for our ability to react to crisis like are we are maybe like is there any silver lining are we just setting the stage for chaos when we're dealt with delta card a hand that is gives us diversity and challenge like uh i didn't really articulate this well but like yeah how is that setting the foundation for years to come where we will likely have you know new issues that arise um as as we kind of navigate forward me to answer this always my you're the one with the answers for us <laughs> um i think that we need to be intentional about the foundation we're laying right now for the years ahead mm -hmm. and i think that's the place that i think that this is what it is it's, it's almost like we're kind of tending to this foundation right now and it's like what type of seeds are we planting like what type of what type of nutrients are we giving to this this ecosystem this like garden that we're trying to grow and that's how i kind of look at it is like we can make choices and decisions that might not be the most fertile for abundance and that might not really produce the best results and i think that it's really important that we're recognizing that every single day truly requires us to live out the values of a more just world and i think that everyone for the most part except for the white supremacists can agree that we can unite behind these shared goals for you know for collective well-being like it's you know folks are suffering at different levels and i think that the way that we choose to act with one another in community, the way that we choose to engage in dialogue, the way that we choose to challenge our own assumptions, create space for a deeper critical analysis and create space for a nuanced way of thinking and create space for caring for somebody who might not share the exact same opinion as you, but you can find common ground and maybe somewhere else and not canceling that person and not canceling community. Um, I just think like these larger practices are what we're witnessing right now. And I think that if we lean more into the other side of individualism and alienation of one another, and if we kind of scrap with our collective community instead of really addressing the larger systems at play, like 
corporate abuse and corrupt government and political representatives and um, you know, really challenging that status quo that's already existed before the pandemic. Like I think that we're gonna, it's we're gonna have some really hard times ahead. And um, and I think that the way that we're seeing the government respond to this pandemic that's been so focused on the individual, even with encouraging vaccines, like it's all about these individual actions rather than also creating space for dialogue around a more collective response and this culture of discard and disposability that is also being promoted right now in this pandemic response, um, I think represents what we might see with a climate crisis response. Like who, who deserves care, who deserves um, so like federal support or provincial support, who will have access to it, you know, like what corporations will benefit from crises ahead. Like, I just think that these, the roots of these issues will, like it, that will be there for every other crisis that we face. And so that is why I think that these conversations are so important because we have to be building that foundation now for, to really set ourselves up. Yeah, I really like that. I, I, I do agree that I think <laughs> curiosity, compassion, nuance, like I think that's where we unite. I, similar to yourself, draw the line at white supremacy and Nazism, like one Nazi is too many Nazis for me. And if they're associated <laughs> with the group, I mean, it doesn't leave a lot of room for, for possibility, uh, at least not a possibility that I want to be a part of. But I, I do think that um, if we can lead with curiosity, lead with compassion, lead, be open to nuance, um, I think we'll find a lot of agreement. And I, I, I do think where you talk about government and pharma, like, I think we need transparency and better communication because uh, the, you know, I, I know that with the work that you do, storytelling is such a big part of it and how this has all been marketed or the story has been told has been as has been alienating and, and divisive and it hasn't been a welcoming way that, you know, this has been communicated from the top down. Um, for for anybody and decisions haven't made sense because I think people haven't been transparent or open or so I think there is there is room to call out to call in uh, um, and I think we do need more transparency and and hopefully that can lead to a better collective understanding um, I don't know I'm hopeful I'm hopeful I'm whenever things I think COVID has kind of been this like great shakeout in a way where it's breaking a lot of systems, um, a lot of systems that haven't served us. And I think there is this like last hope for, I think some of these communities that have been hanging on to colonialism and white supremacy, like the writings on the wall. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that these minority groups of people are just holding on because times are changing and we need to shake that out with all of these other bad kind of uh, situations to give room for, for hope and opportunity. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think one other thing, and then we can try to end on a positive note, like just the last time we, we, we podcasted together, we were talking about what was going on in the old growth forests and, and just kind of seeing this this movement, uh, this this convoy, it really illustrates so clearly the the stark difference of how the police defend white uh, white white colonialism and supremacy. And like we've got these land defenders that are trying to they're putting their bodies, their time, um, everything on the line to protect, you know, our 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 future, our land, our trees, our climate, and they're being um, met with police brutality and injustice. And then we've got this movement that is has you know roots of of that white supremacy and colonialism. And and really, there's been a, a red carpet all the way to the Capitol. Um, <laughs> so it's like just the stark differences. I think 
if we can look at a movement and see that there's police brutality and we can see this stark um, contrast, I think that just illustrates the issues that we're, we're kind of facing. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's just so ironic in a sense because the mandate, like the arguments around vaccines and mandates are very health-based and it's, it kind of, it, to me, it's this, like this whole individuality also coincides with compartmentalization, which is a product of a colonial way of thinking, like a very capitalistic way of thinking, which are that we're not thinking of anything as a whole, like nothing is a collective, everything can be like segregated, we can like look at logging and like sustainable yield in this very, you know, like tree planting in this very like siloed way. And I think it's, you know, ironically, it's kind of the same thing with all of these different protests across the board is like, you know, we can't compartmentalize our health to just this discourse around vaccines and mandates. It's also like there are people fighting for long-term solutions that are pivotal for collective and societal survival, which is indigenous-led movements Mm -hmm. that are the only way for us to have climate justice. These frontline land and water defenders and protectors are like some of the, they're protecting some of the last clean waters up in Wet'suwet'en. They're protecting some of the last clean water in that area. Here with the blockades on Vancouver Island, it's like some of the last ancient old growth forests that have critically important biodiversity. Like I just, like I really challenge people to like one, recognize when there might be this compartmentalized way of thinking and seeing and and really being able to act on that and challenge ourselves to think more collectively and holistically and then on the other hand is that it's really critical to recognize that the rcmp were created to uphold and maintain the settler colonial state full stop and we are witnessing what that looks like by seeing them join a convoy of predominantly white people and it was the safest experience for everyone participating in that movement. Whereas if that were to even be tried by indigenous folks, which in some ways, like there were, they have, there have been blockades. Like there was a blockade at the ferry terminal on Vancouver Island for Wet'suwet'en. There was like the railway blockades, things like that. It's met with such, like you said, brutality and so much force. And even up at Ferry Creek, like the police brutality was just horrendous. And it, they were completely impeding any type of media or journalism coverage. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that, you know, like people are saying that they want freedom, but it's like, for who? You know, like there wasn't freedom of the press at all with the blockades that have been happening. And it went to the Supreme Court. And so I just think that people really need to expand the way that they're articulating these issues and the way that they're thinking about it and recognize that, you know, people have been fighting for their human rights for a long ass time. And since the start of colonialism and, you know, RCMP have not been a friend to many people who have been fighting for their rights. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Yeah. It's, it's, it's illustrated so clearly when, certain groups have the freedom to protest and others don't have that luxury to be able to protest things that benefit the greater good of of the collective human experience. Um, Just trying to like wrap around to kind of some conclusion of of unity and hope. Um, You know, we talk about compassion, communication, nuance. Um, If you're listening to this and you're wanting to maybe connect with with someone that has a different perspective than you. Um, what do you think is like a first step that someone can take to try to bridge this gap and start communicating together? Um, I, I was just listening to a really good podcast today that was with Krista Tippett on being. She was having, she like re- 
published the podcast that she did with Thich Nhat Hanh with his recent passing. And it was really interesting because they were talking about compassion and forgiveness in times of war. And, mm-hmm. and she was like, so how would you, how would you navigate feeling anger towards like, you know, someone who's killing other people in times of war and things like that. And, and he was just like, I genuinely think I would find forgiveness for their suffering because you have to be in a state of suffering to be, you know, harming. And that's where you can find compassion for that person is their suffering. And, and then Thich Nhat Hanh was also saying that like suffering is what creates compassion. So it's like this, you know, mutuality. And so I think that we, everyone to these different extents has experienced suffering in the last two years. And I think that that is just where we can begin to find our compassion. And like, just as simple as that is just reflecting on that. And then, you know, finding a place for forgiveness and time, if that's what feels appropriate you know, in the way that, you know, like I've had some friends who have minimized the presence of neo-Nazis and that's been a really painful experience. And I'm sure in time, like I will find compassion for, you know, their, that shortcoming and that lack of nuance, like what we're talking about and that lack of understanding. And um, I think that's just like an example of how to try and navigate these conversations but also people can have their boundaries too i don't think that you know i think that um just proceeding with tenderness and just trying to engage in these conversations i think is so important because i do believe that things might be a bit different if we weren't in pandemic mode where like all of our consumption wasn't happening over the internet and like quote unquote conversation wasn't happening on the internet. Like I really do believe like if we were all sitting in a room together mm-hmm. having these conversations, things would be a little bit more different. I think it's really hard to look in the face of somebody who is immunocompromised and tell them that their life doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. I think it's really hard to look in the face of somebody who for the most part lives off grid and depends on, you know, a certain like economy or a certain lifestyle and be you know for people on the lower mainland to really be able to understand like the lifestyle of people who live in northern bc in these more remote rural areas um i just think that there would be much more deeper understanding i think it would actually kind of like smooth out the intensity so that way people can actually pause and like think and not be so impulsive and and be strategic of like okay we all have this common goal let's organize on that. Like, Mm -hmm. I think everyone can agree that they're not happy with the response that the government has had to the pandemic. And, you know, yeah, that's my long-winded answer. (laughs) There's, there's more, there's more that aligns within us, even, even when we're different, right? Like, and that's, that's what I think is sometimes lost in the, the world that we live in now where it's just you you find kind of the voices of affirmation our echo chambers and we're all guilty of it like it's because it's partly like imposed on us with algorithms right we see stuff that either immediately resonates that we're like oh yes that's me and that's my people or the stuff that knows will trigger us because it's like the opposite of all the things we like and share and comment on and so that middle ground is lost by design of the platforms we all use and so like we can't be totally shocked when it feels like we don't know how to have conversation with people who think and act and behave and believe differently than us but there's like there's always more i think that unites us mm-hmm. us to be different uh, you know seeing seeing posts from um indigenous members of you know, different communities across the country saying, oh, like to all of the, you know, like colonial settler people who are showing up now with like mistrust of the government, like welcome. (laughs) And, and I mean, so that's like a point of obviously learning 
for for people who have had the privilege for their whole lives to not have to like second guess or question or be upset with like decisions the government has made. Right. And instead of seeing that as an opportunity for solidarity and, and learning more understanding or more empathy to be like, oh man, this is what you've experienced like your whole life. Mm-hmm. It's like, it just becomes about, well, my rights. Right actually probably more privileges than rights if we get down to it right yeah i think that there's so much to be gained when we have a posture of like openness and willing to see the other as not like the enemy or in stark contrast to myself but as someone who maybe there's like more similar about us than what's different and to to try and hold those things i mean obviously it gets hard and there are there are hard and fast kind of lines that, you know, once they're crossed, they're crossed. But for the most part, like I think the the overwhelming majority of people are looking for connection and, and commonality, not just an enemy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love what you said is that by design, we've eliminated the middle ground because it's so true. And I, and I do think that people are like looking for this, like looking for community, like I feel heard, I feel seen by these people who share this and, you know, that's invigorating. And I think part of it too, is just like the isolation has taken its toll. And then for people to be just within proximity, I think of just like an energy, no matter what it is, like of just so many people, like, I think that's effective. And I think that um, people are really looking to feel yeah. that kind of collective shared experience and not feel alone in their experience too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that that's where there's hope is that there, are, you know, like what you're saying, like these, there's so many opportunity for solidarity and for like, deeper mutual understanding and compassion. I love that. Um, I I just like listening to to both of you and just kind of talking, talking through this as a group is, is giving me personally hope and, and just kind of reiterating that, you know, everyone has suffering and if we can have compassion and and find that middle ground, um, you know, I, it gives me hope that we can unite uh, and, move forward um with compassion and understanding and and hopefully with curiosity to to learn other people's perspectives and and not be so stuck in one you know dogmatic perspective and be open to possibility mm-hmm. all right well Maya, i don't want to take up all your time because i know we can ask you questions forever and I know, I think you're going to be like the first, uh, third time around the podcast when your upcoming <laughs> doc comes up. I know I'll be sending you a text to get you back on. Um, always grateful for your time and, and uh, for the space that you hold and for the messages that you share. Uh, you personally give me hope. And, um, you know, if we can amplify and share uh, that message that, um, you know, you're so beautifully creating. Um, I. I I believe that we can get through this. So thank you. Thank you both. I'm so grateful for you both having these courageous conversations and yeah, not shying away from the hard stuff. All right. I'm jealous of your cozy little cabin that you're in. It looks so nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that cozy right now. It's why I'm in a hat and a jacket because I didn't I can't turn the space heater on. So I'm like <gasps> freezing. <laughs> It's getting chilly. Yeah. Well, next time you're in van, come by for a juice and uh, well, we can help chat more. All right. Bye, y'all. Thanks, Maya. Bye. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us for this special Friday segment of A Little More Good. Yeah. Uh, I found that conversation was really enlightening and healing for myself and, and therapeutic just to talk through. Yeah. If, if anything, it's like it shows you know, I don't think we solved anything, right? Like we'd be pretty, pretty uh, egotistical to say, well, there you go. There's the answer. But it's amazing the power that conversation Mm -hmm. has 
to to just help voice some of the things that are like stirring inside of us right and it moves the needle on on resolutions Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily bring them about but yeah just just processing it out loud is is helpful yeah for sure i mean taking it away like i was checking my privilege trying to assess where I'm showing up with privilege where I can be more self-aware mm-hmm. uh, and where that can be damaging to others. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just thinking about after the conversation how, you know, COVID's been isolating. We've all been separated and, and that's brought a, a surgence of, you know, online communication, whether that be Zoom or Instagram or sharing our lives in different ways. And when we detach that human connection, that in-person connection, it's easier to to other and to be angry and uh, to to point fingers and I think if we have conversations with real people um, we have a lot more that unites us than divides us and I think uh, getting back to that connection and that conversation is where we can hopefully unite and come together yeah that's the goal what's that Beatles song come together come right, right now, now. <laughs> over me there we go. Let's come together, people. Yeah. Well, hopefully you all enjoyed that. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you to Maya. We're always grateful for, for her and the work yeah. that she's doing. And yeah. uh, we'll see you all on Tuesday. All right. Peace. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.